Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Pick up a copy of Trash War, a family card game from Quirky Engine Entertainment at Amazon.com today. They say nobility comes from dying well. I say... Nuts to that! Nobility comes from standing like a chiseled out piece of granite against some armored mongrel coming at you with an axe handle mace wrapped in barbed wire. Nobility comes from looking that mongrel in the eye, raising your tire iron or your scorched length of cedar post and saying, come and get some. Try havoc. Let's slip the junkyard dogs of war. Pick up a copy of Trash War, a family card game from Quirky Engine Entertainment at Amazon.com today. The Terrifying Lies Podcast with music and stories by Craig Nibo. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the second interseason edition of the Terrifying Lies podcast. I hope you are enjoying these between-season editions while I prepare for season two of the show. Today, I give you another dose of the freestyle gargoyles. This is an interesting merge between music and stories. For these sessions, I invite some of my favorite local authors into the studio to read their work in front of a small audience. But it isn't just any reading. A group of musicians, mostly made up of the Rust Monster Band, for which I play bass guitar, backs up the authors with a fully improvised soundtrack. As musicians, we go in with only the name of the story. The conductor says something like, Okay, guys, 4-4 time, in the key of B-flat, here we go. One, two, three, four. And we're off. With this fly-by-the-seat-of-our-pants approach, some of what you hear will be total chaos, with moments of clarity. All in all, it's an absolute good time. We consider any person who ever participates in the freestyle gargoyles as a freestyle gargoyle for life. For today, I give you two incredible authors. First on deck, James Wymore. Second, I present a totally disturbing Lovecraftian tale by author Scott Taylor. Enjoy. And now, James Wymore and the Freestyle Gargoyles.
She walked into my library with legs wrapped in yoga pants, wrapped in magic. I looked up from Robert Frost feeling warm. She wasn't glamorous, but I detected a glamour beneath those large, black-rimmed glasses, pushing her red-tinted bangs to one side and magnifying her blue manga eyes. Jump up, my mind screamed. Take her by the hands and carry her into a dance. But I played it cool, trying to pretend I was still reading about roads and saws. She kept moving toward me, flowing like a goddess across the carpet. Until she paused in front of my desk, so I hit her with my winning line. Can I help you? She smiled, taking her time. If you can't, nobody can. I tipped my head and put in my bookmark. I'm in trouble. I don't know where to turn. She put one delicate hand over her lips, taking a deep breath. Is this a library-related problem? I glanced at the sign in front of me that said, information. She put her hands on the desk and bit her lip. I imagined how nice it must be to bite that lip. Maybe, I don't know. You're going to think I'm stupid. You can trust me. Did I just say that? I need a poem. She crossed her arms and leaned back frustrated. See, I told you it was dumb. I shouldn't have asked. A poem? I raised my eyebrows. In all my time as a librarian, I never experienced any words so tantalizing. But I had to play it suave, or she'd just take off like a juvenile pyromaniac after lighting a building up like a torch. Any poem or a specific one? I don't know. She turned to look at the stacks fanning out before us, setting down on the edge of my desk. Whitman? Browning? Elliot? I lifted my book, glad for a chance to make a show of it. Something new, something different. I feel like the spark's gone out of my life. Since my last boyfriend left, nothing touches me. I want something to pull me out of this funk and make me fall in love with life again. I never thought much about my name before, but at that moment, I wished it was life. Life Smith or George Life. My heart raced. Did I have the courage to be bold? Do you have anything like that? A lock of her hair fell down as she looked at me over the rim of her glasses. I only nodded, since I couldn't make any words come out. Then, inspiration hit me. It wasn't a light bulb, it was lightning. I leaned back into my chair, touching my fingers together in a triangle. Do you have a little bit of time? She frowned or pouted, I'm not sure which. I knew what to say now. Nothing would stop the course of these words. I get off at six. I think I have just the poem for you. Can you hang out till then? She closed her eyes. Had I been too forward? She took a deep breath. Okay. I gave her my most reassuring smile. Don't worry, I have it, but it won't work here. She tipped her head to the side. Why not? You'll see, it's nearby, the poem you want. It's something special, it's worth the walk. She slid off my desk without a word and disappeared behind a shelf. What could she possibly want in the 600 section? Applied science? 
I tore my mind away from the triviality. All the years of my awkward adolescence sitting in creative writing class instead of athletics, plus college dissecting sentences and writing about metaphors, I always knew there was a reason. Today the reason became crystal clear. I swiped books and papers from my desk, drawing a number of quizzical looks from annoyed patrons. Nonplus, I pulled a worn leather book out of the pocket of the jacket, perched on the back of my desk chair. I unwound the thong, tying it closed, and opened to a clean piece of beige paper. I twisted the cap off my fountain pen and set the ball down on the page. As the blob of ink slowly spread, my mind sifted through sonnets and verses I'd memorized. All the structures and rhyming schemes scrolled through my brain, vying to be chosen. With a single snort, I laughed them all away. Nothing but raw, free prose would do. The pen began to slide, slowly at first, then faster. Possessed, driven, insane, I let the words gush like blood from a mortal wound. I smeared the ink with my hand as I carved into the paper with the metal tip like running a chisel across stone. When I reached the end, I slammed the book shut and tied it. I would not read it or edit a single word. On this single draft, I balanced my fate. I next saw her face peering at me from a different aisle. Had she been spying? Was I so engrossed that I didn't notice her watching? All the self-doubt of decades rose like a tidal wave to crush me. My cheeks burning red, she stepped cautiously out. I think she was debating if she should run. Unbroken, I grabbed my jacket and walked around the side of the desk. I kept eye contact, surfing the wave forward, riding above its energy. Before she said anything, I put out my hand. Ready? She hesitated. I didn't wait. I smiled, took her hand gently, and led her out the sliding glass doors. Before she shivered in the autumn chill, I handed her my jacket. She perched it over her shoulders since I wouldn't let go of her hand. I pulled her through the doors of the bar, only stopping once we both sat at a small table. The band never played any regular songs. They just jammed jazz all night, every night. Sometimes it swelled, sometimes it simmered, but it was always right. What are we doing here, she asked. I knew she didn't hate the place, but she had to protest on principle. I shook my head. Your poem, remember? Yes, but I held up a finger. I have it. I turned and stepped up on the tiny stage. She sat on a too small bar stool at a little round table, eyes a mix of curiosity and worry. The place was too small to need a mic, and I had an open invitation to read any time. The bass player tipped his hat toward the girl I dragged to the show. I put one hand out and brought it down just a bit. The band followed the bass down as he stirred a blue rhythm. Then I lifted my book and read. No doctor I, no surgery with a pen, for healing comes after cutting, and this rhyme won't slice. A physician cannot repair the biological meat sack. A psychologist cannot patch the disconnected brain. These are organic. They must heal themselves. So a doctor is a magician with smoke and mirrors armed. 
This has been James Wymore and the Freestyle Gargoyles. The Terrifying Lies podcast will return after this short commercial break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Terrifying Lies Podcast. I now present Scott Taylor and the Freestyle Gargoyles.
The pain in Chief Lawrence Larry Delafonte's left knee flared with each step. Louisiana's high humidity inflicted bloody murder on the aging man's joints. He headed straight to the interrogation room where Tommy Lee Watts waited. Tommy, the youngest of the Watts boys, sat alone since his arrest three hours earlier. Has he said anything? Larry asked Detective Doug Stevens, who stood outside the room. Nothing, except he did say he'll only talk to you. The lanky man shifted his weight and smiled. He asked for a lawyer? No, thank goodness. This whole insane episode would just drag out longer, Doug said. Larry almost touched the doorknob when Doug asked, Um, so I heard a little about what happened at Tommy's shop from, from Neil Glass. Is it true that... Inwardly, Larry stuttered as he tried unsuccessfully to keep the images buried. Doug, it was the worst thing I'd ever seen, ever. Larry opened the door and he stepped through. Oh, thank God you're here, Tommy said. He started to stand, but Larry motioned him for him to remain seated. Tommy, just sit. Larry pulled a cheap government-issued chair and sat. And Tommy, I want to make one thing perfectly clear. It is taking everything that makes me human not to pull my gun and blow your damn head off right now. Do you understand? Tommy nodded, his breaths coming short bursts, his lower jaw twitched, and his eyes bore into Larry's. I do, sir, but I didn't do anything. I swear it wasn't. Larry held up his hand as if each word Tommy spoke caused more pain. Tommy, Larry took in several deep breaths. I'm going to ask you to start at the beginning. You've, read your, you've been read your rights? Tommy nodded. Good, now tell me, tell, me, uh, tell me when this whole nightmare started. I'll stop if I have any questions. Understand? Larry nodded again. Okay, then. I guess it began two nights ago. Pete Johnson and Clyde Flats just dropped me off. We'd spend some night at Lucy's bar. We got home around 2 a.m. How drunk were you? Larry asked. Just a little buzzed. I was expecting a ram to be dropped off by Dave Stoker in the morning. He wanted a rush job and, I was gonna, and he was gonna pay top dollar, so I didn't want a hangover to slow me down. You can ask Pete and, Cl and Clyde if you don't believe me. I will. Then what? Well, I got up around 8.30 and had breakfast and waited for Dave. And I waited about an hour, an hour and a half, and he doesn't show. So I checked the drop box to see if he left the ramp before I got up. Tommy stopped talking and took several short breaths. His eyes darted across the room. You okay? Yeah, yeah. Larry saw Tommy's hands begin to shake and wondered if Tommy was about to confess to the heinous crime. Just give me a second, Tommy said. Take your time. After a few moments, Tommy began again. I saw that the latch on the dropbox had been tripped, so I knew something was in there. Must be the ram, I thought, so I opened up the box. Except it wasn't no ram. I don't know what the hell it was. I, I still don't. Huh? This guy's a taxidermist? Larry thought. Okay, well, what did it look like? Well, it looked like a squid thing. I mean, it had a squid head, but it had appendages, you know, like arms and legs. 
like human? Larry reached into his breast pocket and withdrew a small writing pad and a pen hooked to the spiral binding. He wrote the word squid and then he crossed it out and wrote the word meth lab. Well, almost, but kind of like a human baby. But it was more gray, like the gray primer on my dad's Jeep. Imagine if you crossed a, a person with a fish, but with, you know, arms and legs. So you found a squid human thing, Larry said. Then what did you do? Why, well, I took it in the shop and I cut it open. You did what, Larry said? Yeah, I thought Dave changed his mind and wanted this thing stuffed instead of the ramp. So I skinned it, I threw the innards in the trash, and I built the form. I'd never built anything like this. It wasn't like any animal I'd ever seen. The hide was all rubbery and slimy and tough. I was going to tell whoever dropped it off that I was going to charge him extra just for the pain and ass project he'd given me. This animal, you don't know who sent it? No, everyone knows they can drop off a raccoon or a boar and get work, and I'll get working on it. Larry remembered seeing the drop box just outside Tommy's taxidermy shop. Well, we didn't see any squid thing in your shop. What happened to it? Tommy stared at Larry and he bit his lower lip. He nervously tapped his fingers on the table. Stay with me, Tommy. Well, I got done around four or five o'clock yesterday. I didn't want to go nowhere in case Dave or whoever put it in that box came by to pay me. I must have dozed off because it was dark outside when I got up. And that's when I heard them coming. I went and retrieved my 30-06 and, and that's when they came in. All three of them. Larry jotted notes as Tommy spoke, but he stopped and looked at Tommy. Larry saw a look of pure terror on the accused face. It almost made Larry forget what he'd seen earlier in Tommy's shop. Almost. Tommy, who came in? Huh? Tommy? Tommy, who was it who came into your shop? Tommy stared straight ahead. There were three of them, Tommy whispered, and his eyes twitched. Did you recognize any of them? Tommy's eyes locked with the detective, and beads of sweat began rolling down his unshaven face. Was it nothing to recognize? Larry lifted his pen. Excuse me? I mean... There was nothing to recognize. They, they weren't human. Not human? Larry circled the meth lab comment. Mr. Delafontaine, I'm telling you, I stood in my shop and I saw three things come inside and they weren't human. Well, what the hell were they? I swear I don't know, Tommy said. Okay, well, what did they look like? Well, they were all over seven feet tall and they had huge squid heads. They looked like the thing I had just cut up, but they were huge. Larry saw Tommy's eyes shift rapidly back and forth. They were all over seven feet tall. Uh, you said that already, Larry interrupted. Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, they walked on two legs like humans, and, and, and their torsos were, and they had arms and legs like humans, but, but those heads and those eyes, man, I'm going to have nightmares for the rest of my life from what I saw. Okay, he said, so, so these tall squid-headed things came in. Do you think you could describe him to Frank when we're done talking so he can draw him? Oh yeah, I'll never forget what they look like and I can describe the little one too. Larry had forgot about the little one. Good, we'll have you talk to Frank in a bit. Uh, were these things clothed? No, no, they were naked as all natural or God or whatever had made them. 
well, what did you do when they came in? What? Gun half raised? I couldn't move? They came in and walked straight to that squid thing that I had stuffed. And that's when I thought it must have been a baby of one of those big creatures. And it made me sick to think I'd carved up a baby of one of those things. Okay, then what? Larry asked. Well, they walked over to it and they kept looking at each other like, like I wasn't even in the room. Did they say anything? Tommy gave Larry a puzzled look. Well, I mean, did they make any noise? Nothing. They didn't talk at all. They made no sound. They just kept looking at each other. They must have used some sort of mind reading because it looked like they were talking to each other. So, didn't say anything, Larry wrote on the, on the pad. Then, then what happened? Well, they stood together looking at each other for a couple of minutes. Then one picked up the baby squid thing and put it under his arm and the two of them left. And the last one walked over to me, came right up to me and stopped a few inches from me. Tommy's hand began to shake, followed by his other hand. Soon, Tommy's whole body began to twitch. Tommy, son, snap out of it, Larry raised his voice. Tommy didn't stop shaking. Tommy, Larry roared and slammed his fist on the table, breaking the trance in Tommy's eyes. Yeah, Tommy said in his weak voice. Tommy, I need you to tell me what happened next. Well, this thing stood and looked down at me. The tentacle things on his head began to shake and like a rattlesnake when you get close, except there were no rattles and, and the smell, oh, it smelled god awful, like it'd been dead for weeks. The baby thing didn't smell though, not like this thing. Uh, did it touch you? No, no, it just stood there looking at me and those eyes, they were black and yellow like a catfish, but, but big. All I could do was stand there. It was like its eyes had paralyzed me and I couldn't move. You know, like it was in a trance or something. Well, how long did it just stand there? I don't know, maybe 15 minutes, even though it felt like just a few seconds. I think it could read my mind and, and those arms were huge. It could have killed me right then and there. I doubt my gun would have even scratched on that tough gray skin. Uh, we were just standing there, he and I, and when I saw those other two things come walking back in the shop, but this time they were carrying, and they had with them. Larry knew what Tommy was going to say, and he knew why the taxidermist couldn't finish the sentence. Tommy began to cry. They carried in. Tears fell freely from Tommy's eyes. Son, I saw it too. I was there. You don't need... They were carrying Ross Phillips' three-year-old son, Jack. He said, Jack. He stopped talking and closed his eyes tight as if to stop the tears that continued to slide down his cheeks. Tommy, Larry said in a voice as kind as he could muster, you can stop. The boy was naked, Jack. Jack, boy, he was naked and sliced up the center and stitched together using, I don't know, it looked like twine or something. And, and his eyes, oh God, his eyes were gone. There was nothing but... Tommy began to cry harder. His shoulders rose and fell with each sob. They just dropped the boy on the table where I sat that squid baby thing and they, they just dropped him. The big monster looked over at Jack and then back at me and then, and then it walked away. All three of them, they just left. I just broke down after that, just knelt on the floor and cried. After a bit, I, I called Lara from your office. Oh God, Mr. Delafontaine, I know this sounds crazy, but there's no way in hell I would have done anything to that kid. No way. Tommy bowed his head. Larry picked up the small notebook and slid the big pen back in its spiral cocoon. And he put them both back in his breast pocket. Chief Delafontaine rose. He nodded to the one-way mirror. A click echoed in the room as the locking mechanism tripped and the door opened 
allowing him to leave. Miraculously, the man felt no pain in his left knee when he walked away. This has been James Wymore and Scott Taylor and the Freestyle Gargoyles. For today's song, I offer something autobiographical. My brother, Larry, known in the Rust Monster Band as Science Fiction Larry on the keyboards, played Little League Soccer when he was just a kid. When my parents signed him up for the American Youth Soccer Organization, they didn't have a team in our area. The AYSO reacted by asking all the teams in the surrounding areas to give up a player or two to form a new team. Now, as a soccer coach, which players would you give up? Certainly not your stars. Every team offered its poorest players for the new team, and the Yellow Jackets were born. Larry made it onto the roster. The Yellow Jackets finished the soccer season with only one win, but that win was due to a forfeiture on the part of the opposing team as they didn't have enough players to compete. They decided to play a scrimmage anyways. The Yellow Jackets lost the scrimmage against their rivals. For the entire season, the Yellow Jackets only scored one point. As player Nathan Seeger kicked the ball triumphantly through the goal. I wrote a song called Yellow Jackets Forever. The song appears on Rust Monster's Neo Retro album, a collection of swing songs that tell jokes. I think you might like it. You can stream Rust Monster Neo Retro anywhere. If you have a minute, check it out. Now, this is an instrumental song, but I think it accurately casts the spirit of the Yellow Jackets. I now give you Rust Monsters, Yellow Jackets Forever.
This has been the Terrifying Lies Podcast. Please come again. You're welcome here. Thank you.